Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Numbers 12, 1 through 10. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. I wonder what the Exodus community, the Israelites, I wonder what they expected redemption to look like. I wonder what they expected deliverance to look like when they were suffering slaves in Egypt. I think probably in their hearts and minds, what they saw as their main problem was outside, right? The, the problem is outside of me. It's the oppressors. It's Egypt. They're the problem. Uh, this can happen a lot with uh, helicopter parenting, right? We, we, uh, in helicopter parenting, you kind of put the circle of protection around your children and you say, you know what, the problems are all out there and so we're just going to protect you from out there and you're never really equipped to deal with the problems in here. So Israel, they're thinking at first, you know, the problem is Egypt. It's out there. If we can just escape that, then that is all we need. That's my main problem. And then they get out, and it's not what they expect. They face that their desires are not being met. This world is not giving me what I want. I thought I just wanted 
deliverance from these oppressors, but now I see there's these other things that I want, and I'm not getting them. And so then they say, you know what the problem is? It's not Egypt now, it's Moses. He's the problem. And so they complain about him. They don't have the right leader. And in fact, Aaron and Miriam think, you know what? We should be the leaders. We should be in charge. And so it's a good question for us to explore. What is it that we expect in our deliverance, in our salvation? Do we get what we want? Do we have these expectations that we want? Sometimes it's, I want power. I want significance. Uh, For the Israelites, we didn't want to be slaves anymore, right? We, uh, We don't want to be marginalized. We want recognition. I think they probably had an expectation of, it's going to be easy, right? We're going to walk out of Egypt, and we're going to walk right into the promised land, Canaan. We'll just, we'll just go right there. And maybe an expectation of, and we're going to be comfortable now. And so they think, we want our struggles to go away. Physical struggles, emotional struggles... Uh, For us, we think those things, but maybe even spiritual struggles, right? I want my doubt to go away. I want confidence and I want ease. And then we start to get into uh, the comparison game, okay? So we have these expectations versus reality. We might even look at, uh, at other people who follow God and think, um, is God working in my life? like he is in their life. Um, You know, maybe my testimony isn't as flashy as that other person's. Maybe, you know, God doesn't seem to be speaking to me the same way that he does to them. Uh, God's not answering my prayers the same way that he seems to be answering other people's uh, prayers. I don't feel like God's blessing me in the same way that I see these other people being blessed. And so we get into this comparison game of, okay, my expectations compared to what I see others experiencing. So what does redemption actually look like? What should we expect? Well, I think at the heart is this, is that redemption is about God going to work on us. It's about showing us our idols. It's about showing us our sin. It's about showing where I really find comfort. It's about showing where I really find value and God going to work to change that. And so God brings us on this journey. It's a gradual journey to make us more and more like him. And it's a journey to the cross. Our journey is a cross-shaped journey. He's calling us to a cross-shaped life. It's a life of service. It's an others-focused life. It's a life of generosity. It's a life of death, right? So it's, it's a life of dying to this old way, this old person, and coming into new life. It's an upside-down life. It's weakness that reveals God's strength. It's death 
that brings about new life. So let's look at this story of redemption, how God is going to work on Israel, and maybe we'll see how he's going to work on us as well. So it starts with Miriam and Aaron complaining, grumbling about Moses. And so, again, they are the siblings, the older siblings of Moses. And they're not just the siblings. Aaron is the high priest of all Israel. Okay, so he is the holy man of Israel. He is the one who mediates God to the nation. And his sister is a prophetess. She is the head of spirit-filled women. Okay, so this, uh, this little tiff that we get between uh, siblings isn't just a family. This is the leadership of Israel. They are, these are the top leaders. And so let's hear their complaint. Take a look at verse 1. So Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Okay. Moses marries this woman who is a non-Israelite. Uh, it's unclear if this is uh, his first wife or she may have passed and a second wife he's married here. Uh, we're not exactly sure what the complaint is. Why are they complaining about him marrying a Cushite woman? Is it an ethnic prejudice? Is it a spiritual concern of, boy, if, uh, you know, if Moses is married to someone who's on the outside maybe she'll kind of have influence, uh, influence from her worldview and will draw Moses away from God. Possible things. They don't go to Moses, though, do they? They don't go to Moses and tell him, like, hey, here's what our concern is. They just complain. And they complain to anyone who will listen. Let's go to the second part of their complaint now. And they said... Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. So they completely drop the whole Cushite wife thing, right? And then they just launch right into what I think is the real complaint that they have here. They never even bring up the Cushite woman again. They never even explore what their complaint was. They just go to this second complaint, which is this. We want to be equals with Moses, right? They're envious of his status as the prime mediator. And it's a unique status. And so they complain, and God hears it. And here's the thing. The complaint is really not against Moses. It's a, plain, a complaint against God. They're saying, you know what? We want what you gave him. And so in pride, they build themselves up. They think, you know, we're actually more deserving of what you gave him. We didn't marry any outsiders, right? And yet you haven't given us what you gave him. And so they come to God uh, really pridefully. So this is not a complaint against Moses. This is a complaint against God and God's choice. 
They're saying, God, you have been unfair. God, we don't trust your decisions. We don't trust you. And that is the leadership of Israel. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron the high priest. This is a big deal. Now, the heart of envy. We live in a culture of envy, actually an economy even of, of envy. We live in a world that constantly pushes at us all the time. Get everything your neighbor has. And if you don't have the cash, just finance it, right? Just get it. And so we do it with everything from careers to our success. We do it with stuff, with cars, with houses. We do it with pleasures, with food. I even do it with church planting. How about that, right? God, look at what I'm doing over here. I'm, I'm preaching your gospel so true, like way more so than any of these folks. Why don't you bless us like you bless them over there, right? I'm totally guilty of it. This enters into church stuff even. It enters into relationships. There's nowhere that envy is not found. And here's what envy does at its heart. It downplays everything positive about our situation and emphasizes the negative while doing the opposite of the other person's situation. So in the last chapter, you have Moses completely fried. He hears all this complaining. He would have been so happy to go, you know what? Aaron, Miriam, it's all yours. I'm just going to go ahead and go back to shepherding in the wilderness, right? What does envy look like for you? Married people envy often the freedom of single people. Those who are single envy the connectedness of families. Those with demanding jobs may have uh, envy for the lighter load of those with a simpler schedule. Uh, while those stuck in a rut may feel uh, envy over the significance of doing jobs that seem to impact many lives. But envy rarely sees things as they actually are. But at the real heart of envy, it's this. It's not trusting God. It's believing he is unfair and that I deserve more than these other people. It's saying, you done messed up, God. You should have given it to me. All right, so how does uh, Moses respond? Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Do you know who wrote Numbers? It's Moses. It's kind of a funny sentence, right? Moses authoring this sentence. Uh, let me tell you about uh, humility and all the ways I achieved it. Does it kind of feel like that a little bit? Here's the thing. Uh, this sentence could have been added by Joshua, Moses' 
uh, his successor. That's an option. Or it could be that God told Moses, no, you write that down in there. And he was being obedient to what God told him. So the sentence itself shouldn't trouble us too much there. Um, But what it means is this, is that Moses is quiet. He is quiet before accusation. Moses does not defend himself. He is meek. All right, so if that is uh, Moses' response, uh, what is God's response? Well, what God does with this is he gives Moses this complete and awesome vindication. Moses doesn't doesn't have to defend himself because God does it for him. And so he basically says to these three siblings... I kind of hear this dad voice of, uh, of God in this. Like, all right, the three of you right now in my office, right? He comes, he comes down. This is serious. So he brings the three of them in, and he is present there in uh, the tent of meeting. Is, uh, he's there as a pillar of cloud, and he says this. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then? Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, Moses. God vindicates Moses. He says, yes, Moses is unique. He is set apart. Moses gets to hear my words directly. And he gets to see my form as I reveal it to him. Everybody else, it's visions, it's dreams, It's more complicated, but Moses gets it in a very unique way. So Moses, because of that, God has chosen him to be the mediator between God and the people. And God says, you should have been afraid to speak of Moses the way you have. Because you know what? You're not rebelling against Moses. You're rebelling against me and now I'm angry. So what's the consequence? Let's take a look at verse 10. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Why is Miriam punished with leprous skin and not Aaron? Here's the answer. I don't know. Right? It doesn't tell us. There's a little bit of a mystery here. She is the one that begins the, uh, the complaint. Uh, if we look at the, the Hebrew, uh, the complaining verb is in the feminine attached to her. It's possible that she could be the uh, initiator and Aaron is... Uh, just playing along, 
But again, he's still guilty, right? Maybe God is doing something unique in each of them, doing something unique with Aaron and something unique with Miriam. She was ultimately challenging God's choice, believing that she should be an equal with Moses. And so the punishment is this. God moves her as far away from that as possible. If you had a leprous skin condition, it would have been, uh, the result would be you would be moved to the outside of camp. You would be quarantined. And so if you remember how uh, the camp is set up, you have the tabernacle in the center of the camp. And then you have all the tribes around it. So if she is moved from out of the center of the camp, she's being moved far away from the presence of God. And not only from God, but from all the people as well. So this wasn't just a family squabble. It was the prophetess and the high priest challenging the mediator. And it is a big deal. Now, what is God doing with Aaron? So Aaron, the high priest, is actually unable to mediate for Miriam. Why? Because he's an accomplice to the crime. And so he's also stripped of his role of being the high priest in this moment. What Miriam and what Aaron need is a mediator for them. They need Moses to be their mediator. Now, what might we expect of Moses, right? He's been quiet the whole time. They're complaining, saying they should be equals. God vindicates, and then God punishes and gives Miriam leprous skin. Moses, would we expect him to be, you see that, right? Pay attention, everybody. This is what happens when you go against me, right? Serves you both right. I might act like that. I might do that. But that's not what Moses does. Okay, so what does Moses do? Let's take a look. First, we get Aaron. Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when she comes out of his mother's womb. He's saying she, she looks dead. She looks like a stillborn baby even. It's a horrible sight. And Aaron, he now gets it. He goes to Moses and he repents. Forgive me. We did this thing. It was so foolish. And now I need you to petition. Petition for Miriam because I cannot And so Moses pleads. Let's take a look at verse 13. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. Please. What an amazing thing. She was speaking against him, saying he had no business being the leader. And he comes back with, Please forgive her. Don't put this on her, God. Remember the last chapters, the people 
are complaining. Moses complains about the people. But now he's taken on his true role, his true role of being a mediator. And so he mediates for his guilty sister. Verse 14, we see God's judgment. But the Lord said to Moses, if her, if her father had but spit in her face, should, not she, uh, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. Okay, so God's judgment then, he heals her. He takes away the leprous skin, but he still gives her some consequences. She still has to go outside the camp for seven days. Miriam's affront to Moses' spiritual authority is as gross as if her father had spat in her face. And if that had happened, that would have brought about shame that left her outside the camp. So she has to bear the shame of her actions. Let's go to the next couple verses, 15 and 16. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So Miriam goes out, out of the camp for seven days, and the whole nation has to wait they have to wait for her return. Her sin has consequences on the whole nation. So she comes back, and they pack up, and they move on in this journey towards God's promise. Now, what's the message for us? Don't complain, don't envy, or God will punish you. Is that good news? No. <laughs> right? Is that helpful? No. It's not. This story is part of a much bigger story. It is part of the gospel story. Moses is a shadow of the ultimate mediator, Jesus Christ. Like Moses... In John 7, 5, it tells us this, that Jesus' brothers and sisters did not believe that he was the anointed one of God. Like Moses, Jesus faced accusations. And like Moses, Jesus remained silent. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 23. He, that is Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So like Moses, he remains silent in the face of accusation. At his trial, if you've been going along with us in the book of Mark on our daily readings, you saw this week that Jesus is accused many false accusations and he does not attempt to defend himself. Before the Roman governor Pilate, he does not attempt to defend himself. Like Moses, Jesus pleads 
for the guilty. Let's look at Luke 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, the ultimate mediator, pleads for us. He pleads for the guilty. Let's look at Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He pleads for us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He is the ultimate mediator. But here's the thing. Jesus is not just similar to Moses. He's not like Moses. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus doesn't just plead for the guilty. Jesus takes their place. Jesus is sent outside the camp like Miriam was on our behalf. Jesus bears our shame on the cross. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, outside the camp, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus is a better Moses. He suffers for us. He bears the shame for us. And Jesus doesn't go outside the camp to just experience the threat of death, but death itself. Amazing. He experiences it in our place, in our stead. Now Moses, Moses was permitted to hear the word of God mouth to mouth to speak to him and to see the form of God. But guess what? Jesus, he's a better Moses. Jesus is the Word of God. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, in Colossians 1.15 and 19, is a better Moses. He doesn't just get to see the form of God, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is the better Moses. He is the full picture of what even Moses longed to see. So, What does this have to do with grumbling, right? With envy, with complaining. The answer to our problem of complaining, grumbling, is Jesus. In Jesus, we will find our contentment and we'll find our identity. And that will then move us away from envy. Here is what you have. Here is who you are in Jesus. In Jesus, you are a sinner who is saved by God's grace and mercy. In Jesus, you have 
acceptance before God that is completely based on his life, death, and resurrection. In Jesus, you are a son, you are a daughter of the king with access to God's ear at any moment. In Jesus, you are a character in God's story, given a a unique mission for this world to advance his kingdom. In Jesus, you have an eternal inheritance and life without sin, without death, without crying, without pain, without mourning, all awaiting you. In Jesus, you are part of God's people who are committed to walk with you, to encourage you and support you. And so the more we focus on these things and believe these things, the more content and fulfilled we will be and the more we will see envy and complaining begin to disappear. It's through God's power. Now in all of this, there is a warning Okay, so the warning of the passage is not this, though. It's not, don't grumble, don't complain, or God will punish you. The warning is this, don't reject the mediator. Moses was described as a servant of God's house. And there were dire consequences to rejecting God's chosen servant. But Jesus is not the servant of God's house. He is the son of God's house. So I plead you, don't reject the son of God, Jesus Christ, as the mediator that you and I both need. He has lived the life that we never could and died the death that we deserve. And therefore, he is our only way to salvation. Through faith in him, he stands at God's right hand and he pleads for you and me. He says, this one is mine. The debt has been paid in full. That is good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news this morning, that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. We have a mediator who not only pleads for the guilty, but suffers their punishment, bears their shame. We have Jesus. And Lord, the more we focus on him and turn to him and pursue him and follow him, the more you empower us to die to our envy, to die to our complaining. So Lord, empower our hearts to do exactly that, to look upon Jesus, to hear his good news that our debt has been paid. Lord, help us to encourage one another along this journey. Help us to to walk together and to point to one another Jesus before us. I ask it in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. 
and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.